folks, welcome back to another episode of Coffee, Tea, and Crime. Today we're going to look at the attack at Kew Gardens, Kitty Genovese. Catherine Susan Kitty Genovese. She lived at 82 Austin Street, number 70. Now that was an apartment on the second floor of a two-story building, right next to the Long Island Railroad. They had a little station there and a parking area. Now, Kew Gardens was located in Queens, which is one of the boroughs of New York. Now, when you're looking at what would be the front of the building, you see the businesses along the sidewalk. Now, if you lived in one of the apartments above those businesses, those entrances were on what would be the back side of the building. So if you were a resident, you would walk around the rear of the businesses and there's uh, steps and a walkway. And that's how you would enter your apartment. Now coming from the little parking lot there at the railroad station, the entrance to her apartment would be over halfway down that block before you got to her front door, marked 8270. Now, Kitty was 29 years old at the time of this event. It's March 13, 1964. She's working at Eve's 11th Hour Bar, and that's in Hollis, in the Queens. And that's at 193 Jamaica Avenue, number 14. Now, she's closing the bar that night. she done really well being a woman in the early 60s. She was basically running that bar. The true owner wasn't anywhere around, but she had done quite well. On this particular morning, she's closed up the bar and she's going to head home. I don't know the exact path that she took, but we do know from the confession of the suspect later, he saw her at an intersection with Hoover. Now, the suspect didn't live too far away from where Kitty lived. He lived in an area of Queens known as South Ozone Park. Now, according to his later confession, he had murdered women before. said he liked killing women because they didn't put up as much of a fight. They weren't as much of a threat. Now, he had driven around hours that night and morning looking for a victim, according to his later statement. 
and he said it was around 3 a.m. when he saw Kitty at the intersection. Now it took Kitty roughly 45 minutes to get home. She wasn't too far away from her apartment entrance there on the back side. Now when she gets out of her car and starts walking across the parking lot, the suspect sitting in his car there at the bus stop, he gets out, starts walking towards her, and he's armed with a fairly large knife. So he's coming down the sidewalk in what I would call a easterly direction. Now Kitty sees him, and she begins running down the sidewalk on Austin. Now she runs past the drugstore, and she gets just about to where the bookstore is. In fact, she's actually almost past the bookstore. And that's when the suspect's able to finally run her down and he stabs her twice in the back. Now Kitty, she screams, oh my God, he stabbed me, help me. Now several neighbors heard her cry, but now of the people who heard her screams, only a few of them recognized the, the cry as one for help. Now one of her neighbors, Robert Moser, he opened his window and he shouted down at the suspect, let that girl alone. Now once he said that, suspect, he ran back to his car and left the area. Now Kitty got up bleeding, obviously, as one of those two stab wounds has punctured her lung. So she backtracks back towards the parking lot where she parked. She took a left and walked along the side of the building because she wants to get try to get to her apartment from the entrance, which remembers on that back side. Well, she's, she just can't seem to make it. She gets around to that first doorway on the back side of the building. Now this is where the resource material there's kind of a little conflict. Some of the resource material says she was able to get into the through the first door but unable to get through the second door that would get her inside the building. Now the other resource material and a crime scene picture that I saw indicates that she collapsed there on the sidewalk. There's steps. There's steps, and then there's a landing, steps, another landing, and that's as far as she got. Now, the witnesses that saw the initial attack or heard the screams, or both, they had seen the suspect drive off, and they no longer saw kitty out there on the street so they did not see the suspect pull back up at least not all of them now suspect gets back out of the car and he's got a hat on his head now a wide brown hat so 10 minutes later he's out of the car and he is looking for kitty he searches the parking lot the train station and around the apartment complex front and he goes around to the back now he finally finds Kitty and she is barely conscious and she's 
Again, she's either laying on the sidewalk or she's laying in the hallway at the back of the building. And it may even mean that there was a first door that she got in, but she couldn't get to the through the second door. So she's in the, the hallway connecting the outer door to a second inner door. So now no one can really see her or see the attacker. Well, then the suspect stabs her another 11 times, and he rapes her, and he takes her money, $49, and he runs away. Now, all told, the two attacks took about half an hour. And me would later find knife wounds on Kitty's hands, which, of course, would tell you that At some point, probably during the second attack, Kitty was attempting to defend herself. There's a brave lady, Kitty's neighbor, who pretty well risked her life, but she came down the stairs. She forced open a wedge door that leads to the vestibule behind the building where the stabbing had occurred. And she cradled Kitty in her arms Kitty's lying in a pool of blood and she's yelling to the neighbors to call the police. And she kept whispering to Kitty, help is on the way. So the coroner's report would later state that Kitty had been stabbed 13 times and she had died on the way to the hospital. The ambulance did not get there until 4.15 a.m. So a good hour after the attack had occurred. Now, this is 1964, so the police are trying to figure out who and when the witnesses actually called the police, and they're not for sure. They also are not for sure why the call was not given a higher priority. Now, one of the witnesses that was able to get through to the police had said that a woman had gotten beat up, but that she'd gotten up and was staggering around. Now, another witness couldn't decide whether he should call the police or not. He actually spent time calling friends to ask for advice on what to do before he called the police. Now, some of the people that gave statements to the police said that they were on hold for five minutes after calling the police. Now, back in this era of time, you had to know the precinct's phone number in the area you lived or you called the operator and she had to transfer you now either one of those is going to take some time because there's no 911 system at the time in fact they credit this homicide as the catalyst for getting a 911 system in the city of New York now that one fellow that couldn't decide what he was going to do he actually knew Kitty. I don't know if he actually knew that was her being attacked or not. But he's the one that called two different people to ask him what he should do. Now, he was drunk and he was scared. And he had to climb through a window to use the neighbor's phone to do all this. Now the police did talk to one individual. He was actually the assistant superintendent at the Mulberry Apartments across the street. They asked him, did he see what went on? He said, yep. 
They asked him, did you call the police? He said, nope. They asked him, why didn't you call the police? And they said he just shrugged. He didn't have an answer. Later on, the few days after this event, New York Times would put out a news article, and it said that 38 witnesses saw or heard the attack and failed to act. Now, the whole article was questionable in content and accuracy. But from that news article, psychologists came up with a new word. It was called the bystander effect. And what the bystander effect basically means is the more witnesses there are to an event, and these witnesses know that there's other people seeing the same thing they are, they're less likely to get involved or call the police because they think somebody else will and they won't have to. Now, at the time New York Times put this story out, some of the other news agencies, newspapers in town, they knew there was some inconsistencies in the story. They knew there were. They actually asked the reporter who wrote the story for the Times about those inconsistencies and why he'd put them in there when he knew they were wrong. He said it would ruin the story. Seems like some things haven't changed. Now later on, all the way up to the 2000s, the New York Times themselves said the reporting for that story was flawed. Said the original story was grossly exaggerated regarding the number of witnesses and what they had perceived. Because the issue we had here which he had some people see the first attack, which is in the front of the building, and some that saw the second attack that was in the back of the building. Very few, if any, people were aware of both attacks, and there was not 38 witnesses. Now, what the police and prosecutors do say is, is that it was obvious that the layout of the complex and the fact that the attack took place in two different locations, none of the witnesses they found saw the entire sequence of events. But no one was aware of the two attacks. You had one good eyewitness for the first attack and one good eyewitness for the second attack. Many people the police talked to thought it was merely a drunken brawl or a domestic quarrel because there was a bar just about one or two doors down from where the attack occurred. Now also it's pointed out that that initial attack with Kitty's lung punctured, which by the way that would eventually cause her death from asphyxiation because she drowned in her own blood. So obviously the longer this goes on, Kitty's ability to scream would have been minimized. Now, that news story that came out, the fictional news story by the New York Times about the 38 witnesses who didn't bother to call the police, a Fordham University professor said that the case was the most cited incident in social psychology literature up until the September 11th attacks in 2001. I don't think Chicken Little could have kept alive that long. Now, six days 
After the stabbing, March 19, 1964, the suspects arrested for a robbery. During questioning, the police noticed he had a white car similar to the one described by witnesses in the homicide of Kitty. So they asked him about it and he confessed to it. Now he confessed to several murders, but they only indicted him on the homicide of Kitty Genovese. Now he originally was sentenced to death. Now that sentence was later commuted to life imprisonment. Now the suspect, he died in prison March 28, 2016 at the age of 81. He served 52 years in prison before he died. And according to the resource material, that's the longest span of time incarcerated by any inmate in the state of New York.